We are, as I said, beginning a four-week series on fatherhood. Uh, we'll be in the book of John, mostly. John chapter 20, 27 will be one of the main uh, verses, but we'll be around a few places, so you can start with John if you'd like. John chapter 20, verse, verse 27. Uh, the world, I believe, runs on fatherhood, and that's because God is Father. In Ephesians 3.15, we read that all fatherhood in heaven and earth gets its name from God the Father. It isn't any surprise then that because uh, from the very beginning, fathers have often failed, that our world is rather a mess. And it is even less surprise then that our greatest hunger and the source of our most acute pains in life are related to this hunger for a father. So, while we want to embark on a four-week series on fatherhood and talk biblically about what the father is, I don't at all go into this sermon series thinking this isn't going to be very painful for some of you. It could be. That's because you have likely some very real pain related to fatherhood. Maybe you as a father have realized failure. Maybe you had a father who failed you in many ways. Maybe you didn't have a father. Now the solution is of course to look at God the Father. It's been said many times that we uh, learn about who God the Father is from our earthly fathers and that's exactly right. A child's first conception of who God the Father is and what he's like is from his earthly father. But the other way is also even more true, that you can learn what a fatherhood should be like by looking at God the Father. So that's where I want to start with this series, is not looking at earthly fathers at all right now, but looking at our heavenly Father, God our Father. John twenty twenty seven we read, Oh, that's the wrong verse. <laughs> huh. Uh, 2017. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you've said that if we receive your word and treasure your commands, if we make our ears attentive to your wisdom and incline our hearts to understanding, if we cry out for discernment and lift our voices for understanding, if we seek your truth as silver and search for its hidden treasures, then you will give it. For from your mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so, God, we cry out to you now that you would give us wisdom from your word and that you would do it for our eternal good and ultimately to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So for the next four weeks, I want us to consider fatherhood. I don't want to do this in order that you might set up some perfect standard as father. I am very aware in my own fathering, and, and uh, as you are, that I think there's only bad fathers who keep trying. I don't know that there is such a thing as a good father because of sin. I want to do this because I think the central issue of our day is a hunger for father. 
And the pain of father hunger is both in us and all around us. And it's real and it's painful. And like all pain in our lives, we want solutions. If you don't feel well, you don't feel well for a time, you want a solution. You go to the doctor. We're impatient with pain. We're always seeking solutions for it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's very normal. Now, in our day, with all of the pain in it, for whatever reason, we refuse or cannot see that the underlying disease to most of what we're struggling with in our day is just this hunger for a father. And because we misdiagnose the problem, we provide solutions that don't help at all. We try to mask the pain through lots of counseling, maybe educating ourselves. You might turn to drinking or drugs, video gaming yourself to death, snowmobiling, knitting, whatever. We want done with the pain. But if we're willing to take a real hard look at the pain long enough and see the underlying reason for it, then we can actually get help from God's Word. And this pain in our lives, I'm talking about the relational pain that you struggle with, emotional pain, the difficulties at work, underlying it, it's very often related to fatherhood. So the next four weeks, I want us to consider this father hunger. Today we're going to look at who God the Father is. Because that's where it starts. No matter what you've experienced on this earth in relation to fatherhood, you have a father, and he is good. Next week, we're going to address fallen fathers, sin in in fatherhood. Then in the final two weeks, we'll talk about fathers in the church. I don't mean they're dads of children's church. I mean they're church leaders, elders, pastors. And then we'll also look at fathers in the home. So today, God the Father, the simple truth is that our understanding of God the Father is largely shaped by our earthly fathers. A child, long before he or she ever learns to read the Bible or ever sits through a sermon, hearing about what God is like, has learned through observation and experience a world of truth about who the God the Father is, either for good or for ill, either the truth or a lie. A, a father cannot help but be teaching through his actions, through his responses, through how he handles life, through how he parents his child, the truth of this is what God the Father is like. It's an inescapable reality. You cannot not do that. You're always communicating about what God the Father is like. Now, as we'll get into uh, full steam next week, you probably have quite a few legitimate gripes against your dad. And you can do a few things with that. Our world currently urges you to stew on it, to play a victim for your father's failing, to blame him for all that's wrong in your life. You can do that. It won't work. It'll only perpetuate the pain. It'll only deepen. It'll only worsen it. The only thing to do with it is to forgive him for it. We'll get into more of that next week. the only way that you can do that is by knowing that you have a a father who is God. The only way that you'll ever make an end of your father problems here on earth is by looking to God the Father and what he's like. So I want to consider it from that angle. I want to consider who God the Father is 
in order that we might deal with all of our issues of fathering down here. A few years ago, there was a book written entitled uh, The Forgotten God. It made the case that the, church has lar- that the church has largely ignored the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. We've forgotten about the Holy Spirit. He is the forgotten God. I think that book was 50 or 60 years too late. Ever since the 60s and 70s, we've been consumed with the Spirit of God. The charismatic revivals have all been about reconnecting us with the Spirit of God. We've had a revival in that area, and it's been good. And in our day, if you've been at all paying attention to what churches are doing, we are all about God the Son right now. Gospel-centered everything is all over the place. Every book being published by any kind of Christian author is about the gospel. Gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered marriages, the Christ-centered counselor, and those are all good things. So the church is all in on who God the Spirit is. We are all in on who God the Son is. The forgotten God in our age is God the Father. We have largely ignored and neglected God as our Father. Now, I don't mean that we have forgotten God the Father and that we've committed heresy and deny that God is a Father. That's not true. I don't even mean that we don't have our doctrine of God the Father uh, intricately laid out. I'm sure if somebody came to you and said, who is God the Father, you could lay it out biblically rather clearly. So I don't think churches are committing heresy here. I, I don't think we don't have our doctrine in line here. I just think that our personal, practical experience of living our lives in the presence of God the Father isn't what it should be. For instance, 1 John 3.1 is one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible. See the great love of the Father. See uh, the kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called His children. Who doesn't love that verse? You love that verse? I love that verse. It gives me tingles when I read it. But if I'm honest, if you're honest, I think If you think about that for a moment, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. See it. Experience it. Feel it. If you sit back, do you go, I don't get it. I don't see that love. I don't experience it. I don't connect with it like I want to. It doesn't have the impact on my life that it should. So our problem is that we're distant from our Father. We live with a mask over our lives, hiding the reality that we feel very distant from Him. We don't have the kind of affection for Him that we should. And truth be told, we're not really sure if He does for us either. We have pain in our lives and we're wondering where he is. We've come to the conclusion maybe that that's just the way he is. We've settled on the fact that that's just the way our relationship with him is. Distant. Cool. We haven't forgotten him, we think. Maybe he has somewhat forgotten me. God the Father really isn't all that different than earthly fatherhood, we think. He's there, 
seems amazing, but he's not all that near, nor maybe all that interested in me. Maybe we've settled that it is impossible to live in the kind of 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has for us. And I want this sermon to say that's absolutely a lie. That's absolutely a false truth that you have believed. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, <clears throat> taught us to pray. And so the most intimate act that we could do with God begins with these words, Our Father. The primary way that you have been taught to address God in heaven is on the most intimate terms that you could ever imagine. Our Father. Not our God, not our Lord, not, O oh, great deity above, but our Father. Toward the end of John's Gospel in 2017, which we read, this is right after Jesus has been raised from the dead. If you're not familiar with the Gospel story, we were created in God's image to live in intimate father-child relationship with God in heaven, but we sinned, we rebelled against Him, our sin has separated us from God. This is what we call death. And this sin has ruined everything. And God, from the instance of our sin, from all eternity, had a plan for our redemption, and it all revolved around His Son coming. His Son taking on Himself all of our sin, paying the penalty of death for our sin on the cross. And so Christ suffered and died on the cross in our place for our sin. And three days later, he rose. He conquered death. He made an end of our sin in rising from the grave. And so where, where we are in John chapter 20 is there. Right? The disciples are despairing because the Son of God is dead. And this woman, Mary Magdalene, after going and seeing the empty tomb, running and getting a few of the disciples, coming back, they see the empty tomb, an angel addresses the disciples, they leave, in verse 10, the disciples go back to their homes, and Mary stands there weeping. And Jesus comes to her, why are you weeping, woman, in verse 15? Whom are you seeking? She says, sir, if you've carried the body, the corpse away, tell me where? And Jesus addresses her, Mary. And she understands who he is. And look at what Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers, say to them, go to my brothers, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. Note those words. My Father and your Father. Just think of all of the things, all of the first things that the resurrected Son of God could have said. You should always pay attention to things that people say first or last in the Bible. Here are the first words that the crucified, resurrected, reigning Lord Jesus says. And you've you got to pay careful attention here. These words 
are the first words the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, has chosen to communicate to us. And what does He communicate? You have a Father. You now have a Father. Because of my death and resurrection, my brothers, all who will believe in me, are now reconciled to the Heavenly Father. The entire Bible from Genesis 3 on is the story of working this out. That's what this is all about. This is the high point of what God created the world for, to reconcile sinners to a father. This is what the entire Bible story has been about. This is is what this world was created for. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son. Beloved, God has so loved us. Why did God send His Son? It was for the sole purpose of reconciling us to His Father and our Father. It is very little wonder then that the first words out of Jesus' mouth after His resurrection are the announcement that we have a Father that we have been reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And and we love this story, don't we? How many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Why do you love that movie so much? Isn't it because it's a reconciliation between a father and a son? Isn't it all about a father doing everything to find his son? Or, those of you a little older baseball fans, how about Field of Dreams? Remember that movie? This podunk Iowa farmer turns his needed cornfields into a baseball field for the sole purpose of seeing his deceased baseball-playing father appear again. You will do anything for a father. And it appears in the gospel story, the Father will do anything to reconcile you to Him. This is the thing driving your life more than anything else, is a hunger for a Father. And in the gospel, God the Father is saying to you, I'm I'm your Father. I'll do anything for you to be my child. That's what this is all about. So just a a word to men here. You will not meet a person in this coming week who is not in some way, shape, or form hungry for a father. All God-given male leadership in this world is fathering. There is a reason that basketball players if they have a good coach, love him so much because he's a father. There is a reason that if you have a a good boss that you'll do anything for him because he's a father. There's a reason that if you have elders in a church who love you and discipline and take care of you that you'll do anything for because they're fathers. And if we actually 
in some way crazy in the future have decent civil leaders in our country, you'd do anything for them because they're fathers. Because everybody in our world is hungry for one thing. You've heard these philosophic statements. Augustine said that man is thirsty and they're thirsty for one thing. God, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, Pascal said. That's all father hunger. You men, wherever you're placed, are placed in that role as a father figure. It's true of you with your children. It's true of you at work. It's true of you in government. It's true of you as a boss. It's true of you in the church. It's true of you in coaching. It's true everywhere. All people want is to be fathers. And there's nothing they fear more because they've been so disappointed with it. So we need to look to God the Father for how he has fathered us, his sons, to learn how to do this. And look at what he's done for us. So this first point is that the way that God the Father's is that God loves us. In, in John 1.14, you turn to the very beginning of John's Gospel, we read that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father. We don't have time to get into that begotten language. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created. It means that He has eternally proceeded from the Father. It's glorious. So Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of the Father. And if you move down a few verses to verse 18, we read that no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then in your Bible, probably, you have a little number there after who is at the Father's side. You see that? I have a number six there. And then if you go down to the very bottom of the page, it says, Greek, in the bosom of the Father. See that? That literally reads there, this only begotten Son of the Father, in verse 14 and verse 18, We've never seen God, but this, this Son of God has. He's the only God, and He has been in the bosom of the Father. Okay, So here we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is eternal. He's eternally in relationship with the Father. And what kind of a relationship with the Father has He had forever? He's had the kind of relationship that He has been held in a bosom, fatherly embrace forever. I have no idea why our English translators so made that so cold, who is at the Father's side. Doesn't that sound so cold? You can sit beside anybody. But here we read of this eternally begotten Son of the Father dwelling in the bosom of His Father forever. You would pay anything to be loved by a father like that. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? To be held by a father in his bosom. To be loved like that. Held like that. Kissed like that. Wouldn't you give anything for that? And that's how the Son of God 
has dwelled for eternity. And then, wonder of all wonders, the Father sent the Son from that position to earth so that we could live in that position forever. You want to know how close you are to the Father? You're this close because you're in that Son. This is the thing that you find the most difficult truth in the Bible to believe. That you are that close to God the Father. Now, partly that is because we live in flesh and bones here on earth. And because of sin, God is not physically spirit. But he he isn't fully present by his spirit, but we don't physically experience it is my point. That's difficult. That's That's why we live by faith. You have to believe this. You have to believe it and apply it to everything in your life. That's what the Christian life is. Believing that you are as embraced in the bosom of the Father as the Son because you're in His Son, and then apply that to everything, every day, every relationship in your life. That's what living as a Christian is. That's what changes your attitudes. That's what changes your behaviors. That's what changes your response to difficult situations. That's what changes how you handle money. That's what changes how you think about your appearance. Everything that you are loved by the Father just like His eternally begotten Son because you are in His Son by faith, never to be separated. If you think you're going to change by your own effort, if you think New Year's resolutions are going to change you, you don't have a clue. The only thing that changes you is that you are eternally reconciled to God the Father, held in His bosom because that's where the Son is. And that's where you are. And if you're here and you do not believe in this gospel, you do not have this. Jesus will say later in John's gospel that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through Him. You can only come to the Father to this kind of love through faith in His Son who died in your place for your sin. If you're putting hope in anything else, you do not have this. And you don't have to do anything to get it except repent of your sin and believe in Christ. And why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? The thing that you're hungry for more than anything else in this world is this. This is the hunger of all of your other hungers. And what we long for, the actual, tangible experience of this kind of love, we're going to see here in a moment in the Lord's Supper. That's what this is for. One of the reoccurring activities in your lives as as families should be joining Father at table every evening. Where you get to sit with your dad and have a meal and talk about your day and laugh and hear him get frustrated when it gets a little out of hand and and do that day in and day out. And that's training you for an eternal reality when you'll actually do that with God, your Father. That's what the Lord suffers for. Now, one of the very difficult things for us is to understand 
what God the Father's love looks like for us in daily action. So God loves you. He's, he's your Father. You are as embraced in His bosom as Jesus Christ, His eternally begotten Son, is. So we have a Father. Jesus told us in 2017 at His resurrection that He is going to His Father and to our Father. <laughs> we are one with Him, and so we have a Father. But how... What does that Father's love look like in action for you today and tomorrow and the next day? What do we experience of our Father's love day in and day out? And this is one of the most neglected and difficult realities in Scripture, that when we look in Scripture for what God's interaction as a Father looks like for you, in your daily life, we find out that this, it's this word called discipline, right? And all the air just goes out of the room. Like, can't we just talk about sentimental, fatherly bosom things? Why do I got to bring up discipline? Because the reason that you disbelieve God's love for you is because you often take the method of his love for you as the evidence that he doesn't love you. Get that? When God disciplines you, your gut instinct is to look at him and say, I thought you loved me. And what he's communicating to you in that love is, I love you. You're my son. I'm your father. And we're sitting there like every child has always done and saying, you don't understand me. I thought you cared about me. And so we just replay with God our Father every relationship that you've ever had with any child or father in this world. Right? We think God is distant because we take His discipline and love as saying He doesn't like us. He's irritated with us. He's sick of us. And yet God's discipline of His sons in the Bible is the main way on earth that God our Father evidences His nearness, His attention, His care, and His love, and we totally don't believe it. Turn, if you would, with me to Hebrews 12. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you're in the book of John, it's to the right several books. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6 to 8. So you, you want God to be near to you. You want the Father to be attentive to you. You, you want to feel as if God the Father is near you and caring for you and paying attention to you. And in the Bible, the main way that we know that is through His discipline of us. Hebrews 12, 6-8. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. He has received as His sons an adoption and His Main communicating love for us is discipline and chastisement. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Listen, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, take note of what is going on here. God is named his father in this text. 
He's our Father. We are His Son. And the demonstration of His fatherly love for you as His Son is discipline. Now, this isn't to say that God does not communicate His fatherly love in other ways. We see His fatherly love for you in that you are breathing this morning. That you drove a vehicle probably with some heat this morning. That you... All the blessings that you've gotten and daily provision and protection from harm and on and on and gathering in the Lord's Day worship, take the Lord's Supper. This is all God communicating love for you. But in Scripture, one of the foremost acts of the Father's love for us is discipline. Listen to Hebrews 3.12. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. There is nothing a child wants more than the pleasure of his father. You know that? Dads, this is the keynote of fatherhood. We'll get, we'll get to this in just a moment. The note that, you, that your children need to grow up hearing, singing their ears, is your pleasure in them. I'm not saying coddling them. I'm not saying like our world participation trophies. Not, not that kind of... That, every child knows that that's a lie. I, I'm saying delight in your children. And here we see in Proverbs 3 that God's delight in His children, us, is communicated to us through correction. Doesn't that sound strange to our modern and advanced ears? Only redneck Northwood freaks discipline their children anymore. We're so beyond paddling a child. And it's no wonder that children growing up think their fathers give a rip for them. Because they've never been brought over their father's knee and spanked. Which in the Bible is one of the foremost communications of fatherly love and delight in the child. Now, later on in Hebrews 12, we read in verse 11 that this discipline is painful. It hurts. Just think of a few examples in the Bible. Moses led God's people for 40 years, sinned at the very end of it, and was not allowed into the promised land. That's fatherly discipline. David lusted after a very good-looking woman, committed adultery with her, impregnated her, covered up his lust by murdering her husband. After the baby was born, the little baby became ill and died. And that is the father's discipline for him. In the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read in the Lord's Supper, the church in Corinth was taking the Lord's Supper very selfishly and rudely. Paul notes that they're eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And God disciplines them by making them weak and sick and taking some of their lives. It says in 11.32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. Painful. Now we know 
from John 9, 1 to 3 and other places, that not every instance of pain in your life, not every sickness, not everything is God's disciplining you directly for a sin. But Jesus said in John 9 that every instance of pain in this world is God communicating to everyone discipline. God is always displaying his love for us in this way by taking his fatherly rod of discipline. But we hate this. This is one of the main ways that we rebel against God our Father. We reject his discipline. That's because our world is, is just hell-bent on turning everything masculine into feminine, on turning everything fatherly into motherly. We have no taste for discipline. We withhold it, and we call it grace, and we lie about God's grace. Church fathers don't discipline sinners in the church, and they say they're being gracious, and they're lying. They're just not loving. The practical end of this is that God the Father communicates his love for you, often through painful discipline, because he delights in you, because he cares for you. Because he would rather have an eternity, you experience eternal pleasure in his presence than eternal misery in hell away from it. And you and I are so sinful that we would trade eternal pleasure in his presence for a moment, 20 years of sin here. You'd do it in an instant. And God will discipline you for it. And your father on earth should discipline you for it. And your church father should discipline you for it. And your civil fathers should discipline you for it because they love you. So I want to end, if we can, in Matthew 3. And then we'll transition over to the Lord's Supper. I want to call this the keynote of our Father's love for us. It's this note of pleasure. In John, or Matthew 3, 13 to 17, we have Jesus' baptism. There is a world of truth about being a father here. If you, if you want to know what it looks like to be a father of your children, meditate on these verses. Just look at the father. He's present. He's there. Watching. He's speaking. So many fathers are so silent. He speaks. He communicates love. This is my beloved son. Men, tell your children you love them. Hug them, kiss them when they're 16, 26, 66. But, but look, notice this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father's fatherly heart delights in, takes pleasure in, enjoys his son. I think this is the ultimate expression, essence of fatherhood. This is where some of you as fathers who have had fathers have had monsters as fathers. To be honest, some of you were abused by your dad. Some of you, your dad abandoned. And God the Father is not like that at all. 
but most of our fathering failure is a keynote of irritability with our children. Right? Just, just low grade. They're in the way. They're, they're an obstacle to my enjoyment. Right? I'd like to do this, and I got these kids, and uh, they just be quiet. I do this. Right? Our children grow up hearing this. They're an irritation. They're a, they're a problem. They're something to tolerate for 18 years. Moms do this sometimes, right? Kids are home for summer break. I can't wait till they get back to school. What does that say to your kid? Don't laugh. What does that say to your kid? Right? And here is God the Father. Communicating pleasure over his child. Delight in him. And that's what you have. That's what you have from God our Father. He is not harsh. He is not irritated. He doesn't neglect or abuse. He's not frustrated with you. He will discipline you for sin, but he takes full delight in you, and that's why he does it. You might say, I'm too bad for that kind of love. You don't know what I've done. You're lying to yourself if that's what you're saying. God doesn't need you to um, not feel the full force of this and think yourself spiritual. It is not godly to not believe this. He wants to give you so much fatherly delight and pleasure that you can't stand it. Read in Zephaniah 3 that he rejoices over you with singing. That's his love for you. And he is not ashamed to show it publicly. And it's ours in Christ. It's not because we're good. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we've qualified for it. It's not because he saw us like the cutest puppy in the window and chose us. He only saves ugly sinners. He only saves losers. But because we're in Christ, we have this fatherly pleasure. These are my sons in whom I'm well pleased. That's what he says over you. Let's pray. Father, we just want to believe this, that you're this kind of father to us. We, we just want to believe that you take this kind of pleasure in us. We find it so hard. We are so prone to disbelieve this. God, would you by your spirit give us the grace of believing, of believing that we are your children in whom you're well pleased, that we would see the kind of love the father has for us we should be called as children, and so we are. That we would cry inwardly, Father, and live in this world as if we have your full delight and approval and acceptance in Christ, because we do, and that we can't undo it. 
And so, God, would you accomplish this now, even as we take the Lord's Supper? Would you feed us on this truth that it is ours because of your Son? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.